What's up, everybody? Welcome into Pace the Nation. Broadcasting back here at Studio 1A in downtown Arlington, Virginia. In the heart of Arlington County, of course, that is Clarendon. Back again for episode 189 of Pace the Nation. An exciting episode to get to. Kind of a unique episode to get to. And All right, so today on the phone, we have both of our co-hosts. Tess Strike. Tess, are you there? I'm here. I love calling into a show that I host. <laughs> I know. And Docs, are you there? Chris, I'm trying to watch TV. <laughs> Docs is on the phone. Tess is on the phone. All right. Um, Tess, uh, this is a little bit of deja vu for you because we did this uh, yesterday. But we you actually were in studio. It's 2.0. Yeah, it is. And... So I, I intro the show saying it was going to be a little bit unique. I'm thrilled to have both you guys. Great to have us uh, all together. I thought it was just going to be Tess and me this week. Um, but uh, I we, we did a show yesterday, and I recorded the show, and everything recorded fine. I started editing the show today, and I saved it again, and then somehow it wasn't there. I can't tell you how frustrating that is. So Tess and I did an hour's worth of, of show and, um, you know, we got, we got to, I thought we had some, it was our best show that no one will ever hear. So, <laughs> so that's why I've got you guys on the phone. Um, we do want to get to, uh, uh our show today. We do have a, an exciting guest. We had a number of other things to talk about, but we're going we're gonna to hold that for next week, uh, but we do have an exciting guest. Excited to be joined today by running legend Dick Beardsley. I sat down with him at his hotel on Friday. Uh, he's here for the Cherry Blossom Road Race this weekend. So I sat down with him and interviewed him, and I did not lose that interview. So I have that interview, but uh, Tess, the intro and the outro uh, are just gone, totally gone. Um, and That's okay. The big announcement will have to wait until next week. Yeah, we, we had a lot of great, great stuff that we'll have to wait to next week. How how upset are you with me? A scale of one to ten. Yeah, like a two. All right, that's good because I know I, you know, in typical fashion, I said, uh, "Hey, can you change the time?" And last minute, I change you an hour later, and then you you come in um, on a Saturday. We, we record. Uh, it's it's so frustrating, but um, I guess um, this this is again another reason why Docs has job security. <laughs> yeah, every time you screw up, makes <laughs> just good news for me. <laughs> it is. Uh, so I we definitely didn't hack into your computer and delete <laughs> anything. We record I here. Don't even think about that. We record here on Sunday, and um, we did have a few topics. We had a, a big announcement, and I think you were kind of tongue-in-cheek about that, but I can't even remember. It's Sunday night. It's almost 10 o'clock. Um, we talked a lot about Virginia basketball, which, you know what? We could talk a lot about Virginia basketball next week, too, because they did make the final. Uh, they, they are going uh, to the final game for the first time in Virginia history, uh, so that's incredible. Uh, Chris, are you going? I am going to the game. Um, so I'll, I've got a flight tomorrow at 10 a.m. I will edit this podcast while I'm on the flight and then get it to Docs and hopefully get it in the right format to them so we can get out the show uh, tomorrow or Monday, Monday the 8th, as we record here, Sunday the 7th. Uh, so that's yeah, I, really I exciting. I be a Debbie Downer, but if you're recording the show on a flight at 10 a.m., yeah. 
I'm going down to Charlottesville. I know, I know. And I don't blame you. I went to Charlottesville yesterday, and it was well worth yeah, the trip. I don't know how I'm going to post the show if I'm going to be in Charlottesville. I know, I know. That's, um, yeah, we'll have to, um, we'll have to talk offline on that. You know, we, we oh, usually okay. do our, we, we, we talk on the show about the show and like the behind the scenes stuff about the show. I don't really talk to him other than about the show other than on the show. So, um, exactly. I, what, 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 when do you plan to leave for Charlottesville docs? Uh, actually I, I am not exactly sure because I'm hitching a ride. <laughs> nice. Okay. All right. So I got to get it to you before. I don't think there's gonna be a lot of editing on this show. So I got to get it to you before, uh, whenever you hitchhike down there. Um, so as that, soon as possible. So, so that is, um, that that was a, a big part of our show that will never be heard. Um, we talked also about cherry blossom. We can cover mm-hmm. that next next week. Uh, we had a can couple. I, can I say can I say something about yeah. like the actual cherry blossoms in Washington D.C.? We talked about those as well, which again will never be it, heard. I drove home from from where I was, the secret location that I was in yesterday. <laughs> yeah. I drove home from that. And it took me like an extra hour just because of everybody who wants to go take a picture of a tree. We, there's just trees. You this, know what? The guy who lives across the street from me has two cherry blossoms. Are they you really? The are they dogwoods or are they cherry blossoms cher- in my neighborhood? Are they really the cherry blossom? I thought that the ones that were in your neighbor's house or in the, the neighborhoods of Arlington or Alexandria, I thought those were dogwoods. They're actually they're che- also cherry blossoms, but they also weren't a gift from Japan. Oh, okay, so that's yeah. the difference. Yeah, but you know what? The pictures on on social media look exactly the same. It's the same as your neighbor's house. Uh, it doesn't you, take you four hours in traffic. You know, we talked a lot about that on the show. That again will never be heard. So I think um, we'll have to touch base about that again next week. I'm glad that you had that experience because Tess and I could totally relate. Uh, we weren't in traffic. We were running. Um, I was running downtown and, uh, it was, it was a zoo. Uh, never do that again. Um, and then Tess, you have, um, you've kind of figured out what your run commute is and it it sounds kind of hectic and crazy, but next week it'll all be free and clear because all the, the cherry blossom traffic will be out of here be mitigated a little a little bit right for for, for yeah people there's outsource that oh not really no no, no you know what they co-op my uh my my kids uh now we are covering the whole show what we talked about um they did cover my kids sleeping um and and i got some help from michael p miller and maggie b i mentioned that um they 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 were helpful and my kid was um was good for pretty much six of the seven days this week so i'm very excited about that thank you for the crowdsourcing help i thought that they both gave you a plus advice yeah it's just a matter of you sticking to it (laughs) that's true that's true uh you know me well um but um yeah guys so uh i i just wanted to come on the air and apologize to you and the audience that uh it won't be our regular show this week we usually go with an intro uh, we talk about dogs, weather, and sports, and then um, we do a running guest, and then we talk a little running, and then we uh, close it out with a you know a story about me or something. So a little bit different format this week. Uh, it'll be us talking on the phone here. We'll go into the Dick Beardsley interview, uh, and then that'll be pretty much it. So um, I, I think our listeners will enjoy the less 
Right, right. You know, we haven't had a public apology on the show in a while. Yeah. Well, here it is. Oh, uh, we don't apologize. Man. <laughs> here, here it <laughs> is. Your contract. Well, you're 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 right, Docs. I I do take I take that back. I take that public public apology back. <laughs> yeah, we don't do that. Yeah. But I did uh, I did screw it up, and um, I I will say this is the second time this has happened in the history of the three years of the show, and both times have been using my computer to to record. So I think there's a pattern there. But uh, I'm glad we're getting a show. Um, sorry to wake you guys up. Uh, it's a it's a big big week. We've got Dick Beardsley on the show, and the Virginia Cavaliers are going to the NCAA championship game. A couple of years ago, UVA blew like a 25 point second half lead yes. against Syracuse. Yes, and and didn't make the the Final Four. That was in the Elite Eight game. Last year, they became the only number one seed. To lose to a 16 seed. Yes. Never happened except for in that one game. People who are hating on Virginia don't understand the history of Virginia. I, I, we, we, we don't need to hate from, from America. No, we don't. Um, people need to understand this is, this is rooting for the Cleveland Browns. This Everybody is a, wants to see the Cleveland Browns win. I, I agree. This is a long time coming. We deserve it. I feel like we finally got some breaks. I mean, we've gotten breaks. It's, it's, we've gotten some breaks. So if you ever hear me say my teams are unlucky and I never, you know, this or never that. Um, These are the kind of things that always happen to Virginia, not yeah, Virginia. Yeah, right, right. We've gotten some breaks. Yeah. So it's been a fun run. Um, Tess, I appreciate you even Instagramming uh, in our, our Pace the Nation story uh, a Virginia Cavaliers headline. I believe it was I the Washington Post. I don't have a horse Post. in this race. So. Yeah, so <laughs> I I appreciate you. Uh, I appreciate you you chipping in there and um, giving us some love on the Instagram, and hopefully um, there'll be more uh, celebrations tomorrow night. I'll be in Minnesota, um, and our, our next guest, as we transition here, our next guest is from Minnesota. He was born in Minneapolis and lives a couple hours outside of Minnesota. Um, I, I, I interviewed him and I talked in this interview about, um, you know, how potentially I was going to go to Minnesota and he's going to be out of town because he's actually here and doing a talk at Lake Braddock high school. So if you're listening to this show on Monday, he's talking tonight, seven thirty. tonight at Lake Braddock or Monday night at Lake Braddock. And you can find the details at uh, potomacriverrunning.com. Uh, and so you can hear the great Dick Beardsley talk tonight. If you uh, want to see something before the Virginia game, the Virginia tip is probably at about 9.20, I think, really late. Um, but uh, at least it's 8.20 where I'll be in Minnesota. And it'll be 7.20 for people in the mountain region. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, next up, excited to be joined by running legend Dick Beardsley. He's going to join us next here on Pace the Nation. All right, welcome back to the program, and now we are excited to be joined by 
running legend Dick Beardsley. Dick, how are you? Hey, Chris. I'm doing great. Glad to be back in Washington, D.C. area. Well, we are back here in D.C. We are in the Renaissance Hotel. We're recording in your hotel room. I mean, this is a little bit of an off-site uh, remote broadcast, but thank you so much for making it happen. Um, you were here this weekend for the Cherry Blossom, right? Yeah, the Cherry Blossom race. The last time I was here was six years ago. Okay. And so now they decided to bring me back again and um, brought the whole family this time and really excited to be here. That's fantastic. Well, uh, we, uh, Dick Beardsley, we're going to get into his story of the, the duel in the sun. Um, there's a book out there. Uh, you can go to dickbeardsley.com, right? You can find a lot Correct. of information about Dick, the duel in the sun, and just a, a ton of other information that we'll touch on today. Um, I've heard you speak four times. It is an emotional riveting, amazing, inspiring speech. So he's also going to be at Lake Braddock Monday night. So we are we are going to record here. We're recording here on Friday. This will come out Monday morning. So if you're listening Monday morning, you still got a chance to listen to Dick and it's a riveting speech Monday night there at Lake Braddock with uh, Potomac River running. So a busy weekend for you, Dick, but uh, I know you have it no other way. Oh, no, I love it, Chris. I love keeping busy, and, and to have the whole family here, that's really that's awesome. more yeah. special. Well, fantastic. Well, uh, I wanted to start by thanking New Balance. New Balance is uh, such a great partner, and they're the ones who helped me set this up. Uh, Dave Shelbourne is a mutual friend of ours. Tell me what New Balance and Dave Shelbourne in particular mean to you, man. Oh, my gosh. You know, I've been with New Balance now, Chris. It'll be... Uh, 40 years in November. Wow. 40. Obviously, it's not because of how fast I run now because I don't run very <laughs> right, fast. But right. like I tell people, I'm kind of like the Walmart greeter for New Balance. <laughs> you know, they send me out to places and uh, I've been to your store a few times over yep. the years and, and do a meet and greet, maybe go for a little run, talk, give a little talk and whatnot. But they've been great. And Dave Shelbourne, Dave grew up in South Dakota. He went to South Dakota State University and I went there for a short period of time. So we have those Midwestern values and, and we just, when, when him and I get together, oh my gosh, it's, uh, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, he sure. is. He's the godfather. And I know the folks listening at New Balance know that he is the godfather. He's the godfather of running. I mean, so he is great. And awesome. he, he definitely helped us set this up. And I want to thank uh, Dave and Tripp for, for setting this up. So, so. It's a lot to lot to talk to uh, uh, to Dick Beardsley about, but uh, everybody knows you from your running days of 1982. The Duel in the Sun um, was just an incredible, incredible race. Uh, the Boston Marathon's next week. Uh, take us back to 1982, which is probably the race that defined you as a runner. Yeah, no, def no doubt about it, Chris. Gosh, it's hard to believe it'll be 37 years ago wow. already. But now back then, the Boston Marathon, it was so tradition. Everything was tradition. It started at 12 noon, which is not a real good time right. of, of, <laughs> of the day to start a marathon. And in New England, you never know what kind of weather you're going to get. I was out there 10 days before to do a little training on, on the hills. And uh, we got hit by a nor'easter and had two feet of snow. On race wow. day, at the start of the race, it was about 75 degrees and not a cloud in the sky. And, you know, I can't remember what I had for lunch today, but I can remember that day like it happened this morning. Uh, it's it's amazing uh, that you think of an April time in Boston. It's, you know, as we sit here, it's April 5th. It's rainy and cold. It's rainy and cold in Boston. But you're right. It can be any type of weather. And this was the worst marathoning weather that you could imagine, right? Yeah, it really was. I mean... 
um, you know, coming from Minnesota, trained basically all winter long, 30, 40 right. below zero. And I did go down to Atlanta, Georgia for a couple of months, not to get out of the cold, but just to get on the hills because we don't have many hills where I live back in northern Minnesota. And um, to come out to Boston and, and that time of the year, again, you just you never know what it's going to be. And and that particular day, it was very, very warm. And back then, there were no aid stations right. on the course. Right. You just got water, if you could, from spectators. It was crazy. You know, they'd hand you a cup, and I'd look at it. And if it was clear, I drank it. If it looked a little shady, I'd just dump it on my head. <laughs> well, you, you, back in 82, you were probably the fittest of, of your life. So yes. you, you, go, you went into this race knowing that you could run a phenomenal time, and you're ready for big things, but you were up against the best in the world in Alberto Salazar that day going into it do you remember thinking I got a shot to win this thing I got a shot to win the Boston Marathon yeah Chris that's a great question because going in I really felt like my training had gone well and I was not concerned about time at all it was my my goal was to try to win that gosh darn thing but I'll never forget this I remember standing on that starting line and the you know, starter puts up the pistol and says one minute. And I look to my right and two guys down for me is Alberto Salazar, then the world record holder yep. to my left is four time winner of Boston, Bill Rogers. And I'm looking <laughs> up and down this front row and I'm seeing Olympians and world-class athletes from around the globe. And I'm one of the most positive people you'll ever meet. <laughs> but I remember the thinking, what in the heck am I doing at the same start line with these guys? But you know, before it came out the other side of my brain, I thought, no, Dick, you deserve to be here as much as anybody else. All right, so take us through the race. You get through the halfway, you're in good shape, and then, you know, like any other marathoner, uh, eventually you hit the wall, or did you hit the wall? Yeah, well, when uh, Alberto and I finally broke away from everybody at about the 17-mile point, kind of when you start getting into the into the hills, and my coach... Bill Squires told me, he says, Dickie, if you're in that lead group, I want you to run up the hills and down them as hard as you can. Mm -hmm. So like a good soldier listening to his, you know, commander in chief, I, I, I tried shaking cells on every hill and I just could not shake them. And I remember getting to the top of Heartbreak Hill and coming down the other side and I'm sprinting down the backside of Heartbreak as hard as I can trying to shake Salazar. And I got to the bottom and he was right in my back left pocket. And at that point, I could not feel my legs. Mm. And I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, I, I pray to the good Lord that my shoelace or something doesn't come untied because I thought if I had to stop to tie it, I don't know if I could get back going again. It was right. like I was on automatic pilot. And, I'm, you know, five miles at that point, it seemed like, uh, how am I going to make it? Because right. we just kept running faster and faster. So I was able to break it down into one-mile segments. So... My brain convinced my body that all you got to do is run one more mile. So now mentally, all of a sudden, it didn't seem such a daunting task because all I had to do was run one more mile. And I did that all the way. <laughs> one more, then one more. It was actually at the sickle sign in blue and gold paint. It said 25.2 miles. And then right below that, it said one mile to go. All right. So take us through that last mile. You're neck and neck with the world record holder. You're on an unbelievable pace. I mean, what's going through your mind, and and how does that last mile go? Yeah, going through my mind was uh, the last three four miles hardly anything because the crowd. This is right. before they had fencing up there right, and whatnot. Right. The crowd was so thick that day, and the noise was so loud. I could I I couldn't feel my ears. I mean, it was just my ears hurt because right. the crowd was so loud. 
And I remember thinking, okay, you got a mile to go, Dick. You're going to win this Boston Marathon. And with about 900 meters to go, I, I had I had gapped Alberto just a bit. And when I say just a bit, maybe an arm length and a half, something like that. But And I knew Celazar didn't have a great finishing sprint, but I knew he had a lot better one than I did. <laughs> and so I remember, I remember pushing off with my right leg to try to surge one last real hard time. And I got this terrible Charlie horse in my right hamstring. Mm. I mean, it literally sent me up in the air and Alberto went flying by me. And at this point, I'm thinking, okay, wake up out of this nightmare. Right. This is not happening. Because for a moment, I'm thinking, I mean, it, it hurts so bad. And I'm limping. I'm thinking, am I going to even be able to finish, finish. this? And you're now? less than a mile to go, and right? And so then I just, I kind of recompose myself. I thought, just keep moving forward the best you can and work on that hamstring. And and I'm running along the right-hand side of the road. And the, the crowd stepped back to my side to let me come by. And when they got out of my way, I didn't see it. But I, my right foot came out, down into this big pothole. Wow. And and I hit it, and I almost fell down. But when I almost fell down, it jerked my right leg, and it popped the knot out. Wow. So now I had my stride back. And I remember looking behind me, and all I saw was about 100 bicyclers right behind me. I didn't see any other runners coming. I looked up ahead. I could see Alberto's curly black hair and about eight or ten state troopers on motorcycles surrounding him. I'm sure they thought, well, Beardsley's done. He's right. you know out of the race. And I thought, do not give up now. And I started pumping my arms and lifting my legs. And honestly, Chris, never before in a race or ever since had I ever was I ever given a gear like I was given at that point. And next thing I know, I felt like I was on a magic carpet. <clears throat> and we turned off of Commonwealth onto Hereford, and I'm right on his tail. And we get to the top of Hereford. And back then, you made a left-hand turn on what was called Ring Road, and it was only about 150 meters to the finish line at that point. And so um, we made that left turn. I got around the police motorcycles. Got You're dead. literally running with police motorcycles. And we'll tweet out a video. I mean, it is insane because it, it is so different than it's what it is so now. I mean, it it's unbelievable. So, but I wouldn't change it for you know, anything. You're navigating around police yeah. motorcycles. The crowd is, and, yeah. And I get around them, and I catch back up to Alberto with about 150 meters to go. And then I think the mistake I made, I had the momentum, but when I caught up to him, I remember mentally thinking, okay, back off just for a split second, mm -hmm. catch your breath, and then sprint like you've never sprinted before. Well, right when I got up to Salazar, I backed off just a, a smidgen, and Alberto went into his kick, and by the time I responded, he had a little a step or two on me, and I started reeling him back in, but we just ran out of time that day, and... Um, you know, I, I would not, and people probably say this, well, you're saying that, Dick, because you didn't win the race. But honestly, I would not give up that second place finish, mm -hmm. that race with Alberto for winning Boston and running 210, 211. I can't tell you who won last year. Right. But people come up to me that weren't even twinkling their mom and dad's eyes because of YouTube and whatnot, and they come up and talk to me about yeah. that race. And I think the reason it's still out there and people still talk about it is because it was two young American boys right. that one didn't come from behind. It was, we were like glued at the elbow 
from the time we took off to the time we finished. And that's what made it such an iconic race, I think. Yeah, I, I totally agree. We, we will tweet out the video, some pictures of Dick. He ran 208.53 to Alberto's. I mean, Alberto just ran a few seconds faster, a couple seconds yeah, faster. Yeah, 208.51. 208.51. Unbelievable. You guys both set what was the American record right? at the time. Yeah, and it was the first time two men had ever gone under two hours and nine minutes in the same marathon. And it, I, Chris, yeah, it's crazy. And, and I know we don't have a lot of time, right. but I, gotta, I, just, I remember when I crossed the finish line, half of me had never been so excited about anything in my life, honestly. Right. And the other half had never been so disappointed. I remember looking up at that clock as I crossed the finish line, and it's, you know, reading 208 something, and I'm thinking, I just ran a 208 marathon. <laughs> But, on I a seven, got, but I got second. <laughs> what is wrong with this picture? On a 75-degree se, day. Oof, it's, I'm telling you. It is, uh, it is unbelievable. Yeah, it's a, uh, it is a mix of emotions, but you can look back, and, and I agree with you. The story is perfect that you were second. It really, it really wasn't. I agree. Yeah, it I is agree. great. I, I, I tell you, I've said this many times over the years. I don't think anybody in the history of any sport has ever gotten more out of a second place finish than I have. Honest to gosh. Uh, so you ran 208.53. It was your fastest time ever. Why Why do you think, I mean, because you were obviously fit, you were young, you were ready to run yeah. another. Why do you think that was the fastest that you ever ran? I, I think because Alberto Salazar was there. Mm -hmm. There is no question in my mind, and if Alberto was sitting right with us this afternoon, he would probably just say the same thing. In fact, I know he would because him and I have talked about this. There is no way. I would have ever run that fast that day without him there, or he would have never ran that fast right. that day without me there because we were both so gosh dang stubborn, <laughs> we wouldn't give an inch. If he surged, then I'd surge a little harder, and then he'd surge and I'd surge a little more. So each mile, the last seven, eight miles, even going through the hills, at the time we went through the hills two minutes faster than anybody had ever gone through those hills before. Right. And But again, back then you didn't have clocks every mile, the the splits didn't you know they back then they took the splits at the different little towns you ran right. through and so no chip timing or anything no, like that right no. right so i had no idea how fast we were running and at the at that time i could have cared less because it was about trying to win the gosh dang thing and and then when i when i'm seeing the clock and it's reading 208 something i'm thinking holy cow well, the book is Duel in the Sun, the story of Alberto Salazar, Dick Beardsley, and, the Mar and America's Greatest Marathon. Uh, that he, you're also in a book in, entitled Against the Wind. Two great reads. I've read both of them. Unbelievable. Go out and get those books today. Awesome, awesome reads. And you recount all the, the, that marathon experience in even more detail uh, in those books, yes. which, which is very cool. So a, a storied career, not, not only that, I mean, you, you won the London Marathon, you won Grand Malls twice, um, you were just an incredible runner, um, and that, that was where a lot of people would think the story would end. You retire, and you, you, you maybe you work for New Balance for the rest of your career, and you have this you know, great life, and you do have a great life, right. but you know, it, it wasn't with ups and downs and trials and tribulations. Um, talk about um, your first accident because there yeah. were many many accidents after your running career yeah so well chris so after the 1988 olympic trials after boston yep. that day that year i started having some major achilles problems mm -hmm. had to have two surgeries missed out on the 84 olympics came back tried to get to the 88 games but i just could never get back 
after that major, two major Achilles surgeries, I just could never get back to that level. So at age 32 or 33, I retired from wow. that, that level of, of high yeah. running, which now that's kind of just getting, your feet, <laughs> getting going. Know? Right. And, but I was happy with that. I moved back to my Minnesota dairy farm and I, I've been a fishing guide since I've been 12 years old. So I was, I was milking my cows and doing my fishing guide service. And like a lot of us, I had probably a two little too many irons in the fire. Yep. And one morning after I got done milking our cows, I got in a little bit of a hurry and I walked down to a tractor and jumped up on it and started it and throttled it all the way down. And I walked to the back and I pulled a lever that it's called a power takeoff. And it's, it's a shaft that spins about 600 revolutions a minute and it runs another piece of machinery. And I pulled that lever. It started to spin. I turned to my left and the next thing i know i thought somebody would come up from behind me and grab me by mm. the back of my head and slam me into the ground anyhow my um my left leg got wrapped up in this <sighs> power takeoff and then it wrapped it like a string around your finger and all the way up to my groin and then it when it couldn't wrap the leg anymore it started taking me and just pummeling me around and around and the grace of god i somehow got the thing turned off and to this day i have no recollection how i got out of the machinery wow. but i remember standing next to my tractor and i i was basically buck naked it had torn all my oh, clothes off right. i had my boots on and that was it and i was in shock obviously i didn't even know i was hurt all i'm thinking is you better get to the house to get some clothes, clothes on, on. You right, know? right right and i tried to take a step and i just face planted into the <clears> ground and anyhow long story short i ended up um, breaking all the ribs on my right side, punctured my right lung, broke my right arm, had a piece of steel driven into my chest, and my left leg was almost torn off. And But I had great doctors and surgeons and nurses and physical therapists and people I didn't even know. And fortunately, I survived and even got back to running again. Wow. So how, how long did it take you to get back to running? Was this a year process yeah, or so? Yeah, about a year, probably. Okay. I was in the hospital for about six weeks. The first time they sent me home, and then I got a terrible infection and mm -hmm. I almost lost my leg for a second time. Wow. I was back in the hospital for another three weeks. And then eventually I got home and, you know, just kind of built my strength. But, you know, my leg was looked like a pencil I because wow. it atrophied so bad. So it took a long time. But, you know, um, I don't really have any ill effects of it from today that I know well, of. Well, he's 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 going to be running the again the cherry blossom race it will have happened by the time we uh, uh, uh put this podcast out, but he's going to run this this weekend so you're you know to fast forward way 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 in the future here you're still running which still is phenomenal phenomenal. Slower than last so. <laughs> January, but I still love it. So, uh so that was the first accident. Yeah. You got back to running. But uh, as luck would have it, that wasn't the only accident. No, there were, you know, for the next two years, you know, I recovered and got back to normal, my fishing business and milking our cows. And, mm -hmm. and then I, I got in a bad car accident. About two years later, a lady ran a stop sign on a country road and, and just totaled out my car. And I busted up my back and had to have major spinal surgery and recovered from that. And I was running in Fargo, North <laughs> Dakota crazy. Uh, by where I fairly close to where I live back in northern Minnesota and I got hit by a truck oh and found me laying in a snowbank more surgeries recovered from that was hiking with my little boy Andy in Lake Bemidji State Park by where I live and and somehow I this piece of ground I was we were climbing up it broke away and I fell off a cliff wow and uh so multiple multiple surgery I've had probably close to 30 surgeries putting me all back together over the years and and um, as bad as that sounds, 
what came of that was I got addicted to narcotic painkillers. Wow. And, you know, that's so in the news now, the opioid yeah. crisis. And, and that was, um, that was, I, I remember after I had a, you know, a couple years of sobriety, I, um, I mean, I, I just, my life was out of control and mm. I was taking upwards of 80 painkillers a day. And, um, but after I had a, got into treatment and had a couple, three years of recovery, I remember thinking, well, this is good because I know, you know, nothing will ever be more difficult than that. And I said that about the farm accident. Yeah, I thought, right. well, right. Then the addiction happened. And then, but unfortunately I was, I was wrong about that. Too. Right. So addicted to, to, to painkillers and how, how does that work? I mean, how are you getting your hands on all these painkillers? Yeah, it was originally in the beginning, you know, they give them to you because, you know, surgeries and things like that. But then, you know, when I didn't need him anymore, I, I, I'll be honest with you. I liked how they made me feel, which right. is stupid because I didn't drink. I didn't never smoke, never done any illicit drug in my life. And, um, and so when, when my regular doctor wouldn't give me anymore, I just went to another doctor wow. and then another and another. And then when I couldn't find any more doctors to give me anymore, I, you know, I'd never been in trouble in my life. I'd never stolen a piece of bubble gum and I started to forge my own prescriptions, which today is impossible because right. it's all computerized and right. stuff. But back then it was just a simple piece of paper. And I did that and I knew I was probably going to get caught. But at the time, all that mattered was to get the drugs and take the drugs and make sure I didn't get caught. And thankfully, on September 30th of 1996, I got caught. And because I knew I, I, I think I was getting close to the point where you know, I would have taken a handful of pills one night and because I'd been taking so many, I probably just never would have woken up. Wow. And thankfully I got caught uh, before I died. And I knew, you know, I was so blessed and thankful that I was still alive. And I knew the only chance I had, if there was any chance at all to get better from these drugs was to be 100% truthful and take responsibility for my actions. And, and that's what I did. And I got into treatment and, and had a great counselor and, and, uh, you know, I was fortunate to celebrate you know, this past February, 22 years of sobriety from the drugs. Mm. Um, and it's powerful, man. Yeah, yeah. But you know, as difficult as that was, you know, I faced something even more difficult after that. Yeah. And, um, three years ago, my, my little boy, Andy, who wasn't little anymore, he, um, he was a Iraqi war vet and he suffered from post-traumatic stresses. Mm hmm stress disorder and three years ago he took his life mm -hmm. and um without doubt there um it makes all those accidents all those surgeries the addiction the recovery from the addiction seem like a walk in a park um <clears throat> to losing my son he yeah he was only 31 years old and um um he was a great kid and and i think about him all the time and it's all good memories yeah and but um now I can for sure say I will never have to go through anything more difficult because yeah. there's nothing more difficult than a parent losing a child. No question. It's the wrong pecking order. Right. You know, right. Right. he was supposed to bury me, not right. me bury him. But uh, I know he's in a better place. He fought a lot of demons when he got back from Iraq. And and um, as much as I miss him, it gives me joy that, that he's not having those terrible nightmares and fighting those demons anymore. And... and um, down the road we'll meet yeah. up again we're with dick beardsley um powerful story you've been through so much you say such a positive positive person and you do, you do 
talks to to runners. You do talks to people who have struggled with addiction. You, know, you do talks to everybody, and which I think is just just amazing. How do you stay so positive and upbeat and bring so much energy at 63 years old? Because I know when you go out and talk, this stuff is exhausting, right? It is exhausting. <laughs> you know, people ask me that a lot. You know, how do you stay so upbeat? And, you know, the good... <clears throat> The good Lord has blessed me multiple ways, yeah. but ever since I've been a young kid, um, just have just looking at the bright side of things. Yeah. And some people say, "Oh, you're a Pollyanna or whatever." Right, right. Or, right. I think know, Pollyanna's think the right word. Yeah, fine. that's right. Well, right. I'd rather think that way than think <laughs> every time I walk out the door that the roof is going to fall on my head. Because it has a number of times. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. I mean, experience would tell you that. <laughs> right. Yes, that. Right. Potentially. Yeah. But Chris, I, I and I, I speak from my heart, and this is honest truth. Of all those things that have happened to me, I never once have I questioned God or anybody else. Why are these happening to me? To me, there's always there's reasons why these things happen, but there's also a reason why I'm still alive, and the good Lord gave me this. Um, joyful ability to be able to be a good storyteller. Yeah, you know I'm probably not much of a speaker, but <laughs> you I'm a good storyteller, and um, and we all have a story. Yeah, and the fact that I can get out and share that story and know that maybe if I'm speaking to a crowd of five thousand people, if one person comes out of that talk that I had just given, and it helps them with something they're dealing with their in their life in a good positive way then effort well done. You've done a good thing. Um, and I love being able to do that. Yeah, well, you can see him again. If this podcast is coming out Monday, see him uh, at Lake Braddock High School Monday night. Um, Potomac River Running is putting on, so you can find their uh, details about seeing Dick speak tonight at PotomacRiverRunning.com. Um well, let's catch let's catch up on what you're doing today. So you're here for the for the race. Um, you're running some, so you're running the, the yeah. Cherry Blossom Road race. Two knee surgeries later, maybe a tweak of the knee again, and yeah. you're still running, right? Yeah, I am. I got. I've had one artificial knee. My right one in for over ten years now. My left wow. one was in for eight, and then I got an infection in it. And a year ago, just about a year ago now, they put in a new one. But I'm back. You know, I run forty to forty-five miles a week. I'm not very fast anymore, but yeah. it doesn't bother me, Chris. That's what you know. I've been running now for I think forty-seven years, and. I, I love it as much as I ever have. I go to bed at night, and honestly, I can hardly wait to get up in the morning to go for a run. And, you know, I'm an early riser. My wife, Jill, and I, we own a, a Lake Bemidji bed and breakfast back in Bemidji, Minnesota, where I'm from. And I've been, like I said, I've been a fishing guide since yep. I was a little kid. And so I do that winter, summer, anytime we can. You know, we live in a great area with over 400 lakes within 20 miles of town. And, and so, thankfully, I'm an early riser. I get up, and the nice thing about it is I get up, get my run in, get back, and my wife Jill's hasn't even woken up yet. So I, if <laughs> she, she don't miss any time with no, her. <laughs> I don't miss any time with her. And and that that running, it's my one hour of where nobody's pulling at me that wants to do this or that. And I love people, obviously, but and it's my little one-on-one time with the good Lord. And I just, I love that time of the day for me. I it's just therapy, man. It's it, great it therapy. Is, it is. I, I could not agree more. So you're, you're a fishing guide. Um, 
You are a, a motivational speaker. Uh, Jill can help uh, book Dick if you're interested in Absolutely. having him come out to, you know, to, to pretty much you'll you, you speak to corporate events. Absolutely. To, 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 to people, like I said, struggling with addiction, obviously runners, everybody, yes, right? Everywhere, Chris. Yeah. I spoke to from kindergartners up to large corporate right. conventions with 10,000 people there right. and everything in between. And um, I, I, I've been blessed being able to do that, and I love doing it, and it's uh, it's really a lot of fun for me too. All right, well, I'm going to get you out of here, but I, I do have a question. I got to make it about me because <laughs> so my team, Virginia, I've talked. It's well chronicled on this podcast. Is in the final four. They're in Minnesota, and if they win on Saturday night, I'm headed to Minnesota on a flight Monday morning. Uh, so. You're from the Minneapolis area, right? Well, long time ago, okay. I grew up in a little. Now it's okay. part of the Minneapolis area. I grew up in a little town west of there, but now I live 230 miles okay. north of there. Okay, all right. So if I wanted to, I'm going to ask something in your wheelhouse. So okay. if I wanted to get a a session of ice fishing in here in April, could I go to Minneapolis right now and do ice fishing? You could. You would go, yes. Like, how would I do that? You, Not that I'm saying I would have time, but I am interested. No, yeah. just west of Minneapolis. Okay. Just west, 10, 12 miles, is a big lake, one of the best fishing lakes in Minnesota called Lake Minnetonka. Mm-hmm. Go to Wyzetta Bait and Tackle Shop. Okay. They'll get you all hooked up. There's still ice fishing in Minnesota. Uh, we still, in Bemidji, which is way north of there, we still got about 35 to 40 inches of ice wow. out on the on the lakes. But, in fact, when I flew in from Bemidji to Minneapolis, I um, we went right over Lake Minnetonka, and I could see people down there ice fishing and stuff, and so yeah, you could still do so it. So you could still do it. Okay. All right. I wish so I was closer I, to you. I'd take you personally I out. So so I you know, the, the Super Bowl was in Minnesota and you know, I watched the Super Bowl and there was all these shows and this and, and, and pregame shows about people ice fishing. I thought, well that sounds cold and awful and people have these in these huts that are like luxurious i mean this is unbelievable when i grew up fishing in minnesota ice fishing it was sitting on a five gallon bucket freezing your hinder out a couple of my fish houses have bunks color televisions stove oven and a toilet that's how nice that's my type of ice fishing So you, you gotta come uh, up I, I, I will take I will take you up on that. Not not this time. We're gonna be rushed and hopefully <laughs> I'm I'm counting my chickens here. They haven't won on Saturday yet, but hopefully it'd be up in your neck of the woods on Monday at the in in Minneapolis. Well, Dick, it's it's always a pleasure. Um, thank you so much for the time. Uh, I want to thank uh, Dave and and, and Trip and Sean from from New Balance for 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 coordinating this and. Man, you give me chills every time. You're an inspiration. And like you said, if you can just inspire one person who's listening to our show today, you've done a good thing. And I'm I'm sure you've inspired way more than one. Well, Chris, thanks for having me on. It's always great to see you, buddy. Thank yeah. you. All right, there he goes. That's the great Dick Beardsley. Again, if you're listening here on Monday, you can go see him Monday night at Lake Braddock. Check uh, PotomacRiverRunning.com for the details on that. We're going to take a quick break. This is Pace Nation. We'll be right back after this. All right, thanks again to Dick Beardsley for joining us today on Pace the Nation. I just want to say for me personally, uh, I think he is one of the best storytellers and he's got an amazing story. Uh, We just touched on it there in that 30-minute clip there, that 30-minute interview. I mean, that's just a piece of what uh, you would hear if you heard his entire speech 
which is just absolutely incredible. You can hear it tonight at Lake Braddock. If you are listening to this on Monday, you can hear it Monday, April 8th at Lake Braddock High School at 730. Uh, you can check out details on that at PotomacRiverRunning.com. So thanks again to Dick Beardsley. Um, always love catching up with him. Inspiring, inspiring guy and just incredible, incredible story. All right, this podcast, of course, is sponsored by Pacers Running. Pacers Running with five area D.C. locations. Pacers Running is for every run. I know everybody just finished the Cherry Blossom Road Race. It's not too soon to think about the GW Parkway Classic 10-Miler. If you enjoyed those 10 miles or if you didn't get a chance to run those 10 miles this weekend, sign up for the GW Parkway Classic 10-Miler. I promise you, I promise you, you won't be disappointed Runpacers.com backslash races. Check out GW Parkway Classic. That 10 miles from Mount Vernon to Alexandria is just unbelievable. Uh, Beautiful run. Check it out today and sign up today. Runpacers.com. All right, great show today. I want to thank our guest, Dick Beardsley, for joining us today on Pace the Nation. Awesome stuff. Great to catch up with Dick. And I also want to thank New Balance. Really appreciate Sean, Tripp, Dave Shelbourne for making that possible. New Balance has been a supporter of Dick Beardsley forever. So thank you guys for making that happen for us today. Man, I'm on a plane to Minnesota. I'm editing this show right now, probably on a plane, heading to Minnesota to see the Cavaliers play in the final game. I never thought that I would see that in my lifetime. All right. For Tess, for Docs, I'm Chris Farley. This has been episode 189 of Pace the Nation. We will see you next week. Go Hoos. What's up, man? Not me for much longer. (laughs) All right.